back to the Triple Six Rivals. Tonight, D, our topic is going to be corruption and democracy. We're going to discuss how corruption is the Achilles heel of humanity. Whenever people form associations, whether large or small, D, corruption is sure to follow. So D, tell me, are human beings fundamentally corrupt? Oh, that's a loaded question. Okay, so I think that corruption is something that plagues all people and all civilizations. But I also believe that even though humans may start off with good intentions, that we all have the potential for corruption. So T, I got a question for you now. What are your beliefs on corruption? Do you think that it's something born into us or that civilization lays the groundwork to corrupt us? I believe human beings are fundamentally corrupt, D. Personally, and I mean this with an open heart, I have a pessimistic view of human nature. I believe certain things like aggression, dominance, and the potential for greed are fundamentally a part of the human condition and have always been since the beginning of time. So before we get too deep, Let's start off, Dee. What is the modern definition of what corruption is? I'm going to go with our founding fathers. According to them, and they were all highly concerned with the concept of corruption, it is essentially when private interests supersede the public good or the public interest or use the public power for private ends. So, Dee, tell me, what is the private interest for people that don't know? A private interest is basically an interest or ambition of a person who seeks to further their own status, increase their own wealth, or alter their own position of power. That act basically becomes corrupt when the private ends come at the cost of the public welfare or the public good. And that's not to say that self-interest necessarily is in itself corrupting, but it's like you said, um, based on the way that we've acted through aggression and dominance towards each other, uh, it could definitely create a slippery slope. All right, now that I've covered what a private interest is, T, why don't you tell our audience what the public interest is? To keep it short and simple, the public interest is whatever's good for the general welfare of society. So when, if it's the building of roads, the building of schools, the building of hospitals, whatever benefits the general population is considered the public good. So D, tell me, how long do you think corruption has been around for? I think it's probably been with us since the beginning of civilization, but I'm not the historian here, you are. So why don't you tell us how long corruption has actually been around for? Well, it's hard to pinpoint, but there is evidence that it goes back thousands of years. Wow. There are stories from ancient Samaria about the first bribe being given. The Greeks had a term called philikia, which in its translation means little envelope. And basically what this means is whenever you wanted to bribe a politician or get something done, you would hand them a little envelope known as phileakia. Ah, oh, that makes sense. And then also there's a story about a poor man in ancient Samaria. His name was Jamil Nerata. And basically how the story goes was that he was completely desolate. He was completely poor. One day he came up with an idea, D, that he wanted to bribe the mayor. So he went to the market and he sold what meager possessions he had to buy a goat. Now his intention was to go to the mayor's house and bribe him with this goat. But when he got there, he was treated so horribly by the mayor that he was only given the scraps before throwing out on the street. And how the story goes is that Jamil looked up to the sky and he vowed three times over to avenge what the mayor did. 
So basically how the story goes is the first time he went to the king and on credit he was given a chariot and robes. He presented himself to the mayor's house and he hid in a chest. Now the mayor couldn't help his greed and in the middle of the night he opened the chest and Jamil sprung out and nearly beat the mayor to death. Oh my God. The second time Jamil came up with the idea of disguising himself as a physician to treat the mayor's wounds. But he lured the mayor into a dark room instead and beat him once more. Wow. Then the third time that he sought revenge, this time the mayor was paranoid. You'd be too if you got your <laughs> ass kicked twice before. Hell yeah. So what happened was, is that Jamil decided to hire an accomplice, a friend of his. He presented himself at the mayor's house and said, I am Jamil, I am Jamil. The mayor came out, the real Jamil appeared, and he beat the mayor to death. And that story is nearly 3,500 years old. But the most important aspect of it was the bribe giving, which was common practice in ancient times. So does a bribe corrupt or is it a way of getting things done? It is highly debatable. All right, D. As you can see from that story, corruption is as old as time. So now, D, tell me and everybody... How do you guard against corruption within yourself? I think this answer is going to come off as a little cliche, but I believe that there is only one way to guard against corruption. And what is that one way? You have to cultivate virtue within yourself as well as a virtuous outlook towards your fellow man. I believe there's nothing cliche about that, D. Virtue is something that's been lost in the modern age and something that we need dearly today. The ancient Greeks believed in four cardinal virtues. Do you know what they were? No. Tell me. They were prudence, justice, courage, and temperance. Now tell me, Dee, in your opinion, can you fight corruption without courage? No way. Because you have to have the courage to stand up and fight against the corrupt acts when you see them taking place. How about prudence, Dee? Can you fight corruption without prudence? Probably not successfully because you have to be wise and you have to be smart in the actions that you take against corruption when you see it. How about temperance and moderance? Moderation. Can you fight corruption without temperance and moderation? No, because you're going to have to temper your own appetites and your own desires so that you don't overindulge on things, which will eventually spill over into another person's life. And the last one, D. And what I think is the most important is justice. Do you think you can fight corruption without justice? No, because I don't know how we would ever be able to create just societies where we could punish corruption when we see it swiftly. Sounds good, D. And I believe without virtue, like you said, you have no stance of fighting corruption within yourself. Now, D, tell me, what are some of the ways that you, what does too much corruption in a society cause? Too much corruption in a society causes the depolitization of the population from the lack of influence that they're having on political outcomes. And eventually, over a prolonged period of time, this is going to lead to a rise of fringe groups and populist movements. And we've seen this throughout time, D. Whenever the population becomes so polarized, they're more likely to elect something known as a demagogue. And do you know what a demagogue is? Yes, a Tell demagogue me. is basically a tyrant. 
And that has traditionally been the downfall of republics and democracies for thousands of years. Well, that's right. To quote um, Alexander Hamilton, he said that a popularly elected presidency could be too easily captured by those who would play on fear and ignorance to win elections and then rule as tyrants. So, D, tell me, since corruption is basically the theme of what we're talking about here, what are some of the ways that societies can guard against corruption? T, I think it comes down to having checks and balances, the balance of power, transparency, and accountability. Now, I have a question for you. What's up? What do you think causes corruption to proliferate? Basically, corruption spreads through one principal means, and that means is the bribe. And basically, there are three different things, in my opinion, that you can offer somebody to corrupt them. You can offer them wealth, you can offer them status, or you can corrupt them through treachery. Now, how do societies guard against corruption? Usually, it starts with their institutions. Definitely. Then from there, it has a lot to do with their culture. And then from there, it really depends on the individual person. Now, D, a lot of people think American political system is corrupt today. What do you think is the biggest corrupting influence in American democracy today? Well, I think that comes down to a court decision, the FEC versus Citizens United. Tell us and about it. So basically, Citizens United versus the FEC is a Supreme Court decision that had three major impacts on our federal campaigns. What were they? Well, the first one was the influx of dark money, which is now being injected into campaigns. Corporations were declared citizens, and last, money was declared a form of free speech, which was now extended to corporations as citizens. So let me get this right, Dee. The Supreme Court, the Supreme Court of the United States said that immortal, authoritative institutions like corporations are people. Yes. And said it allowed something called dark money. Please elaborate for me what dark money is. Dark money is money that comes from unanimous donors. And basically there's no cap on that. So the study I was looking at showed that before the Citizens United decision in 2010, there was only about $5 million of dark money being injected into the campaigns. Now, how much dark money is being injected today? Over $300 million per federal campaign. So now you're telling me, D, not only are corporations people, but also they can donate as much money as they want. Now, yeah. that tells me one thing. Do you, I got to stop you for a second, T, because here's the kicker. Do you want to know how much peop, individuals like you and me can donate to a campaign? How much could the average person donate? No more than 2500 a year. Wow, D. So, since there's so much dark money, and now that money is a form of free speech, how does that tilt the balance of power in America? Well, in the dissenting justices, well, not the dissenting justices, there, it was basically a 5-4 split. So our Supreme Court was very split on the decision they made, but the opinion justices, Justice Kennedy and Justice Roberts, justified it by saying that political contributions and donations do not constitute a bribe and do not cost, uh, basically a gift is not considered in any way influencing on political outcomes. And that's amazing to me. And since Citizens United, it seems like the polarization in the United States has just gotten worse, right? 
Oh yeah, and then you have to think too, we're living in the rise of wealth inequality in this country. So with all the money tilted one way, and we both know money is a form of influence, right? Maybe the most important form of influence that there is. Well, I think it goes back to what you were saying in the origins of corruption. Bribery is, is the oldest form of corruption that we know as humans in this society. Absolutely. And it looks like to me, D, that the balance of power is tipping in one way because of how much money is being injected into the system. What do you think, D? I actually just wanted to finish that thought. And what's that? Well, today, in our federal campaigns, 78% of political contributions comes from the same 100 donors. Wow, Dee. That is not a lot of people. Out of a country in 350 million, that's uh, an insanely low number of people that almost 80% of and contributions... Do you know, historically, what a concentration of too much influence, wealth, money, and power, and one faction has cost? No, T. Why don't you tell me? Well, historically, things like mass public discontent, violent uprisings, civil wars, and all kinds of atrocities. Historically, D, this has led to the downfall of every republic and every democracy that has ever existed. Oh, Plato warned about this. Aristotle warned about this. The founding fathers of the United States warned about this. And now we're seeing this play out in our own democracy in our own time. So I believe, D, yeah. and I believe that you believe as well, that unless Citizens United is overturned and campaign finance reformed, it looks like we're going down the same path that every democracy or republic has gone on before. To close out the last part of the podcast, we're going to do the audio essay part, and D is going to tell us the story of the snuff box. So what's up, D? Yes, T. I'm going to tell you the story about two of America's snuff boxes. Tell me about it. So in all, there were four snuff boxes given to our founding fathers. Only four? And a horse, but I'm not getting into the rest of them. Sounds I good. will tell you the tale of two, hmm. so you can all decide for yourselves which one is corrupt. So back in the times of the French monarchy... It was tradition for kings and princes to gift their ambassadors with extravagant pieces of either gems, jewels, artwork, or large sums of gold at the end of a diplomatic tour of one's country. The value of the gift was based on the respect or the prospective relationship that the king had for the country the ambassador represented. The problem arose in America on the international scale of politics with other countries because the Articles of Confederation explicitly, for, explicitly forbade the acceptance of gifts from foreign officials due to their potential for corruption. That's right. Americans did not want to be associated with the system that the monarchs of Europe had because of the inherent corruption that they believed existed in the old way of conducting state relations. However, soon after the Declaration of Independence was signed, this problem became a reality for the founders as they started to receive gifts from foreign kings and princes while conducting diplomatic campaigns for financial aid and resources. One monarch in particular, King Louis XVI... The same one who got his head decapitated 20 years later, right? That's correct. Well, he was known for his snuff boxes, which were extravagant paintings, often of himself, 
set in gold frames and decorated with diamonds, jewels, and other gems. Accusations of corruption started among the founders against each other as they started to receive commissions from these foreign monarchs. The founders started to see each other with suspicious eyes, further, basically furthering their own interests and abusing their new positions of power. So in the late 1700s, King Louis XVI presented Benjamin Franklin with one of these paintings, otherwise known as snuff boxes. At the time, Franklin was greatly admired by the French people, while also admiring the French culture himself. Now, because of the large amounts of time that Benjamin Franklin had spent in France during and after the American Revolution, the other founders and the American people became highly suspicious of him being corrupt. They called him the Sly Fox. When he was given the gift by King Louis XVI, he had initially taken it to the Senate and asked them for their permission to keep the painting, in which they eventually allowed him to add it to the treasury. So Congress had determined that Franklin had done the right thing by presenting it to them rather than hiding it away to cover his own debts. This snuff box was seen as a gift from a foreign monarch to our government rather than a bribe to corrupt an official. The second snuff box was valued only slightly less than Benjamin Franklin's. How much was it valued? They were valued at million. They were millions of dollars. Okay. And this snuff box was given to Thomas Jefferson. So the one thing I wanted to point out here is that Jefferson was very staunchly opposed to gifts of any kind. He believed very closely, like Plato, that basically the only remedy for corruption was death. Well, when Jefferson received his gift from King Louis XVI, he immediately started sending secret ciphers to his private banker regarding the actions he wanted taken with the painting. These secret notes between Jefferson and his banker started by Jefferson asking his banker to remove all the valuable jewels from the painting and to sell them at an individual profit. The money made from the sales were to be placed directly into Jefferson's personal account. It is believed that Jefferson used the money from the sales of the jewels to pay off his own private debts, although nobody really knows. The banker did as he was asked, and neither of the two were ever found out for their secret dealings regarding the gift from King Louis XVI. Till this day, we have no idea where exactly the remains of the painting ended up. Now that you know the tales of these two snuff boxes, you be the judge and determine which of these constitutes corruption. What would you have done if it was you? You can see from that story, corruption can corrupt anyone. It's just a matter of the right price at the right time. To me, D, it looks like Jefferson was definitely the more corrupt of the two. How about you? I think Jefferson, like we covered at the beginning of the podcast, initially did not plan on taking bribes. But when presented with the same opportunity as everyone else, he couldn't help himself and, and self-interest kn- took over. And you know what we call that? We call that hypocrisy. And usually when somebody is putting on a moral front to show how good, how pure they are, usually they're just hiding the darkness that lurks underneath. 
Right, because remember, Benjamin Franklin was already suspiciously seen by the American people and his fellow founders as the sly fox, yet he still did the right thing when push came to shove. So to close it out with the last essay about corruption and the human experience. Corruption, everyone is a part of the human experience. It is deeply rooted in human nature and makes its appearance in every epoch and every civilization. As society progressed from small towns to empires, corruption proliferated as people formed factions to further their own interests. Even today, corruption is a part of everyday life and makes its appearance in every institution. Traditionally, there are several ways to corrupt an individual. Wealth, status, and power. In a world where wealth, status, and treachery are intertwined, the pursuit of self-interest has destroyed peoples, groups, and states for thousands of years. Even today, the promise of wealth is a major influencing factor on the world stage. These three motivations have influenced generations, and there are few, D, you would agree, when tempted with status and wealth that would reject it, especially when their status is low. The temptation to elevate one station is too strong, and most eventually succumb to this desire when presented. Treachery has been a means of manipulating corrupting individuals for generations. We all have secrets, and exposing them is another way to coerce individuals. This tactic has been used by dictators, government officials, and criminal organizations for thousands of years. Historically, the principal means of corrupting individuals has been through bribes. Self-interest rules the world, and by appealing to the selfish side of an individual's nature, a bribe can corrupt anyone. The only challenge is the right price at the right time. To illustrate... The word corruption has its roots in Latin, where it means to mar, bribe, or destroy. Corruption is a theme that recurs throughout history. The first story that we already told tonight comes from ancient Samaria and is almost 3,500 years old. In ancient Greece and Rome, political corruption was common political activity. Through clientelism, favors were exchanged for political and financial support. If one had a powerful enough patron, the sky was literally the limit. Julius Caesar secured the unofficial patronage of Marcus Crassus, the richest man in Rome, and with his backing was elected to the highest position of office of consul in 59 BC. Gaining the patronage of a powerful person D ensures political success. This is as true today as it was thousands of years ago. Definitely. After the fall of the Roman Empire, corruption took on new forms as the church gained more and more power. Through the buying and selling of church privileges known as simony, one could literally buy their way into heaven. This was common practice and eventually led to widespread disillusionment. This disillusionment culminated with the breakup of the Catholic Church when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the doors of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany in 1517. The next D, stage D in the evolution of corruption begins with the Industrial Revolution. As powerful business interests challenged traditional sources of power, the aristocracy and monarchy, government officials became more susceptible to corruption as fast sums of money flowed into cities. Oh, yeah. Today, corruption has taken on new forms as special interest groups and lobbying continue to dominate the American political system. With the passage of Citizens United in 2010, more money has flowed into the political system than ever before. This has had a detrimental effect on the United States as extreme partisan, partisanship
has proliferated behind the walls of anonymity. So what does the future hold for corruption in American politics? There is no way to know for certainty. But as American society and technology become increasingly intertwined, corruption will spread at an exponential rate as accountability and transparency are decapitated behind the curtains of technology and Citizens United.